love this church. Uh, I don't know how many. I, I don't know how many of you have visited. Oh. Uh, some churches they say get up and greet people and it's this weird awkward like uh, and then you shake your hand and you sit back down I love this at our church in fact we actually eat during the quote-unquote greet and I have to admit my pastor Andy it drives him a little nuts because it's chaotic and you can't get going again and it drives him nuts I love it (laughs) Um, and I really like this church the the um I was reminded again today, I, I got here, uh, I took the train in, and I, I uh, didn't know exactly how long, so I got here a little bit early, but it was great. So I walked around Cal Anderson, got some fantastic coffee, I mean, Capitol Hill coffee, right? I mean, come on. And um, I was just like, what a miracle. All of you, this building, where we are, I absolutely love it. So uh, all that to say, full, huge pleasure to be here. It's an honor. Love it. Thank you so much for being who you are and right here today. Uh, for so, Cindy, great job. Um, <laughs> I don't. You guys, she's like juggling all the plates, right? While pastor's gone, and so fantastic job. She, in fact, she was hounding me like weeks and weeks ago, making sure that I was all put together. And you know that it made me get put together, right? You know how that works. Yeah, I wasn't put together, and now I'm put together. Anyway, so anyway, thank you, Cindy. It's great. My name is Mark Wilkie. I'm an elder at Calvary Ballard. So um, we're a church, also miraculous building situation. We've been there just over 10 years. Um, Pastor Andy Hirschman, for those of you who are aware or not. In fact, let me just do a quick plug. It's sometime in August, I think. Uh, and we're having a joint barbecue thing. It's August, middle of August, I think. Is that right, Cindy? August 20. So you should come up and I, I know it's across the cut. I get it. I get it. But, you know, you can take the train. You don't even have to look at it. Okay. Um, oh, one more. Proverbs. So I see that there's going to be a thing. Let me just tell you from experience. Make it a habit. Read one chapter of Proverbs every day. You know what's fun? Guess how many chapters are in Proverbs? Anyone? Yeah. And what does that work out to for a month? Yeah. Right? And it's awesome. It starts to seep in. And it's quick and easy. Um, although, as a little bit of a warning, it can also be convicting. So, word of warning, if you don't want to be convicted, if you don't want to be like, you know, change your life, probably don't read Proverbs. But if you do, it's, it's a great practice to have just generally. So there's my little plug. Okay. Um, series. Little itsy bitsy one. It's only two. two uh, talking about home, homecoming, and so forth. So I'm going to start off by asking a question. Who are you? Um, now, anyone come to mind when uh, the first thing that came to mind when I, when I thought, who are you, is uh, I thought of one of the Batmans, and he says, I am Batman. Did, did that happen to anyone, or am I the only one? Okay, so I don't know if there's any Batmans here, but who are you? <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of an odd, direct question. In fact, if you were just to walk up to someone and be like, who are you? That's a bit of a, I don't know, kind of aggressive, don't you think? Like, it's a bit like, wow, are you, start, are you trying to start a fight? Like, 
Are you like, it's almost like you, you, people want you to justify your experience. Uh, as a quick aside, if you read your Bible, the Pharisees were doing this to Jesus all the time. Who are you? By what sign? Like who, by what authority? Uh, they're constantly, who are you? And, and it's an interesting question for us. So how would you respond? So just think for a minute. You don't, you don't need to blurt it out. Just in, in your mind, think about like if I or anyone came up and said, who are you? Or who are you? Or anyway, how would you respond? Just think about that for a minute. Just real quick. Would you respond with your name? Like I'm Mark Wilkie. Would you respond with where you're from? what your occupation is, what you, like, how would you respond? And, you know, it's a little bit unfair because a lot of this is sort of context sensitive. So, for example, if you were to ask me who I am right now, I would say, my name is Mark Wilkie, and I'm an earlier at Calvary Ballard, right? It's not that weird. And at work, you know, then you probably say your job title or what have you or your role or occupation. So there is a context awareness. But how would you answer it, for example, to a close friend? What if you were having a chat with a friend and your friend said, but who are you really? And I think that's kind of closer to what I'd like to chat about today, is that sort of deep, fundamental, in fact, identity, right? Identity is all over the news, like it's been top of mind, like who we are. it affects our gender, our sex, like what we think about, who, what political party, all these sort of clouds surrounding our identity or who we are. Who are you? And what's interesting is, is that this gets to, the reason I started with it, is this identity, this who we are, is deeply, deeply intertwined with where we live or ultimately what we consider to be home. It's, unfortunately, where we live isn't always our home, but our identity is just so, so intertwined. Where we live, our home, is very, very defining in who we are. Where is our home? So if who we are and our home or where we live is so closely intertwined, where do you consider home? Uh, Maybe where your parents live, maybe? Where family? How about where you feel connected and where community is? I know a lot of people, I think a significant number of people, at least that I've talked to, say they come to Capitol Hill, for example, because they feel accepted. They feel more at home. Where's your home? Most people describe home as more of a feeling or a a sense of belonging rather than a physical structure. Although what's interesting is many studies show that there is still a strong connection between a physical structure and a home, interestingly enough. It's our home, it's our personal therefore undefinable space that we feel safe in, right? Now, 
maybe you feel like you don't have a home at all. You know, this isn't terribly uncommon. Now, actually, in the literal sense of homeless, that's a thing. But actually, even if you physically live somewhere, you may not feel like you have a home. This is not uncommon. For example, there's this essay that a uh, guy by the name of Paulino wrote. And here's a quote from it. She writes, so I have to, she writes, I was but a lonely satellite floating without orbit in the vacuum of space. Sometimes my path would intersect with others, but every friendship outside of my family was only a fleeting moment of connection. I allowed myself to be carried through life by flow because it was pointless to hold on to anything. In a sense, I have lived everywhere and yet belonged nowhere. She lacked a sense of home. I think what's even more surprising than this, than this notion that we're not always, we don't always feel like we have a home or we're wondering where our home is or this, this connection, is that I suspect that all of us, at least from time to time, have a longing for home. In fact, it seems that we're periodically reminded of home even if we don't have a home. How, how can this be? Like, think about it. A certain smell or a food or experience or when you're hanging out with friends or a touch stirs this longing, right, for home. But where is home? Periodically, life surprises us with Unexpectedly almost, like, ah, oh, this is home. And then it's fleeting. It seems to just go. One could say that from time to time, probably less often than we want, we get what I'll call a taste of home, which isn't necessarily a food, right? But it's a taste. It's, it's a glimmer. It's a forthcoming of Oh, like this is, I think, what home is like. And even if we're not even 100% sure what home is like, we do get a taste of it from time to time. And now I'd like to propose to you this morning is that this longing, this identity, home, intertwinement, this deep desire for something that's meaningful, that's deep, this upset, like, I don't know, obsession is probably the wrong word, but this longing to, to belong. This is what the kingdom of heaven is about. Because our home is in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, which is both here today, and that's the focus of this Sunday, but not, not yet, right? We know we're in a broken world, so not yet. And, and that's next Sunday. We long for a home that we've never experienced. Yet, we get glimpses and teases from time to time, right? And they're never quite right. And they certainly never last long enough. This is because our true home is in God's kingdom. 
which is where we actually long to be because it's where we were created to be. And I have good news. The good news is that this kingdom, this kingdom of God, is here today. But again, not yet. And let's talk this morning a bit about what it means to walk the streets of this kingdom. You know, we don't use the word kingdom too much these days anymore, right? Like, what does that even mean? Like Saudi Arabia or something? Um, So we could say city or country. So let's just say city. Or let's just say Capitol Hill. What does it mean to walk the streets of Capitol Hill? What does it mean to to walk God's neighborhood? And we're going to talk about that a bit today. Uh, Before we do that, let's dive in and uh, actually, you know, bring the Bible into play. Go figure. Uh, We're going to go, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 13. And uh, the whole chapter, it's quite lengthy, the whole chapter is sort of on this topic, but we're going to start with verse 44. So Matthew 13, 44, I'm reading from the ESV, uh, you know, because it's what Pastor Justin likes and it's what I like and it's the only, no, I'm kidding. Um, Okay, parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, oh, this is cool. So this is Christ speaking, and he's actually saying, what is it like? All right, he's saying, here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up. And then in his joy, he's just super excited, right? He goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I'll just say that makes some sense to me, but not a ton of sense. For me, in my simplistic way of thinking, my takeaway is that the kingdom of heaven is so cool, it is so amazing, that it's definitely worth selling all you have. Not only is it worth, but it says this guy was super happy about it. All right? Or, here's another example, verse 45. And again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. I've never, I'm not sure I've ever even seen a pearl. But anyway, that's a thing. Um, Who, on finding a pearl of great value, what did he do? Sold all he had. By the way, there's a, that's that's the theme here. Sold all he had and bought it. Or, again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like, what's it like? It's like a net that was thrown into the sea, and it gathered fish of every kind. Um, those of you who are old enough maybe have watched Jacques Cousteau, who's, who would have this, this uh, tendency to say a twezotwove of life, and then I would laugh. So that's my memory of Jacques Cousteau. Anyway, undersea and all these fishes and stuff. So imagine all these fishes of every kind, or fish, sorry grammar when it was full it's like saying cactuses come on cacti when it was full the net that is the men drew it ashore and sat down sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad and so it will be at the end of the age the angels will come out separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth kingdom of heaven 
God's kingdom, here and now, but not yet. So walking the streets of your true home, the kingdom, what, it, what, would, what would be some examples of what would be that like? Perhaps, now these are just examples, right? They're not the essence, but I, I'm speaking from experience, eating with good friends or hanging out with them, that always invokes like, ah, I feel like this is good. This is really good. Or gathering with others with folks who are going through deep grief. And my life right now, not, thank God, personally, personally, but with those in close circle, quite a bit of kind of awful, terrible things happening. And to gather with them in deep grief. I know that seems a little bit counterintuitive because one would think like, oh, isn't it all good? Well, it is good, but it's not necessarily happy. There's goodness when God is there in the midst of being with friends, being in God's kingdom, and sitting there with them in their grief. There's goodness in that. Or just a simple offer to help somebody move. What about bringing donuts? Y'all notice? Every, every Sunday, right? Donuts and coffee. Isn't that how God's kingdom's supposed to work? Isn't that part of what it means to be at home? Yeah, it's a little thing, or is it? I, personally speaking, my wife is, when people say better half, I don't think she's my better half. She's more like my better 99% or something. I don't know. She's awesome. I got a couple of great boys. Like, hanging with them, good. Sunsets, sunrises. Or one of the things for me is practicing letting go, not having to be in control. Kingdom of heaven, hanging out with God. Here's the thing, though. As opposed or contrasted with being in God's kingdom as his adopted kids. Let's remember that, yes? So, as review, Christ came, born of a virgin, right? Came to this world. God incarnate came, born of a virgin, lived without sinning. That one gets me. Born, a lot of people get hung up on born of a virgin. That one's easier for me to swallow than not sinning. I literally can't fathom that. That's what the Bible says, sinless. Why? So that he would die a death for us. Now, why did he die for us? So that all of our prayers will be answered? Is that why he died? Did he die so that we would be rich with money? Why did he die? He died so that if we were, if we confessed our sins and we said, yes, I am not perfect, I'm a sinner, and ask him to forgive us, then we could be in communion with Christ forever. Starting now. Guess what that's called? That community with Christ and fellow believers. Guess what that's called? That's the kingdom of heaven. What makes Capitol Hill Capitol Hill? The buildings? The streets? Or the people? 
God's kingdom, made up of God's family. You and I, our brothers and sisters. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking of God like a vending machine. Think about how a vending machine works. You want something in there. Maybe I get a craving for a Coke. By the way, if you ever see me drinking a Coke, like a Coca-Cola, that means I'm about to get sick. So that is literally my, like, oh, I have to have a Coca-Cola. It means I'm getting sick. I have no idea how this works. But it's just the truth. Anyway, so I might have a vending machine. There's a Coke. I'm beginning sick. I want a Coke. What do I have to do? I need to do something right. I need to put in the cost of the Coke. And then an hour it comes. I confess, I make the mistake of sometimes thinking this is how God works. Okay? I'll say my prayer. I'll ask for forgiveness. I'll stop doing the terrible thing. I'll do a good deed. And a Coke comes out. Unfortunately, that's not really the context. But here's the thing. This is why it's so confusing. God wants to desperately answer our prayers. Desperately. But here's the context. The context is God wants to answer our prayers while he's walking with us, while we're in his living room, while we're in his kingdom day to day. All right, so those of you who have parents that don't suck, um, you can, and if you do, you can maybe imagine what it would be like for that to happen. I mean, that's the sad reality of the world we live in, right? Sometimes our parents aren't the best parents ever. Um, but just imagine for a moment that they're great. Think of the difference between thinking of your parents where you only call them when you want something, okay? That's a thing, by the way, right? How does that make your parents feel? Now, contrast and compare with, you like your parents, and you like hanging out with them, but you don't want to live with them, right? No, that's, no, no. But you, you like hanging out with them. They're your parents. You have a relationship. You're, it's not just stuff you need. It's you're with them. You're in community with them. You have relationship. You have deep and intimate relationship. In that relationship, would the parent not help all the time? Of course. But it's not about helping all the time. It's goofy. We know it here on earth. It's goofy if we treat our parents or our spouse or significant other as a vending machine, as a blessing dispenser. That's goofy. That's a, that's a relationship where there's a using going on. What's not goofy is out of love and out of deep, solid bonds and relationships that we help each other. Oh, guess what that's called? Kingdom of heaven. That's how it works. That's the economy. In God's kingdom, things are upside down. So, for example, uh, 
sorry, I, um, <laughs> upside down. I'm going to get to that later. I jumped ahead of myself real quick. So the point here is let's be really careful about the context in which we talk to God. Are we wanting a deeper relationship with him? Are we wanting to walk with him in the streets of his kingdom? Or do we want what we want? Because the challenge, the lie, is that God is there to answer what we want. Now, I just want to go through this, this thinking here, this idea, right, of asking what we want. So if we, being prideful, became more I-centric, then what happens is, is I, it turns into I want God to do what I want. Now, this, I'm just going to let that sink in a minute. God doesn't want that, by the way. He wants relationship with us. In God's kingdom, it centers on relationships and relationships with him. Because in his kingdom, we're not alone. We're not singular satellites just spinning around. But here's the thing. When, when we're eye-centric which is how we kind of always are, and we're in God's kingdom, warning, there's conflict. Because guess what? God's ways are not our ways. They're not. The main scripture for today is seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. First, God's kingdom. Then all of these things. So just think about this a minute. If God was simply about in the business of answering our prayers, that would not be God's kingdom. That would be man's kingdom. Just think about that for a minute. It's just a vending machine at that point, right? And if we follow that through to the logical conclusion, has anyone read the book or maybe seen the show uh, Altered Carbon? So I'm giving away some of my geekiness. So yeah, nobody. Yeah, that's, that's great. Oh, okay, fine. Phew. Uh, so anyway, just real quick, it's a science fiction thing. It's not the most amazing thing you've ever read, and it has a striking bit to it, which is this idea that one's consciousness can be transferred to a different body. And so what happens is, what it turned into is they have these things called mess, which ironically, maybe, was the, the show, cre- the, the, the author was named Mess after Methuselah. And Methuselah was the, the person who, yeah, the longest person in the Bible. Okay, so um, <laughs> they called Mess. But what happens is, is that it costs a lot of money. So what the, the divide between the haves and the have-nots grows and grows and grows in this fictional world because the Mess essentially have virtual immortality. And they start to be able to do whatever they want. And the, the whole the book is an exploration of that. It's a great example of a kingdom of man. <laughs> because the mess just do what they want. They have infinite wealth. They've been around for hundreds of years. They can just do, they make their own rules. They have their own things. They, and if God literally did whatever we wanted, that's, that's the logical conclusion. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy stated one time, quote, 
At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence. Okay, at the heart of liberty, the Supreme Court justice, right, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Mary, one more time. The heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, meaning, universe, and the meaning of uh, mystery of human life. That kind of sounds right, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Christianity, the Bible, isn't it funny that I hold up my phone as my Bible now? I remember years ago when iPhones were first coming out. Yes, I'm old. Uh, the, uh, uh, one of the pastors of the church says, turn in your iPhones too, and I thought that was hilarious. Anyway, uh, the, the Christianity, meaning the Bible, disagrees. The Bible says something completely different. It pushes back against its claim, saying we do not have such a liberty of categories like existence, meaning, human life, and so on. No. Existence, meaning, the mystery of human life, guess what? Belongs to God. When it said the kingdom of, when Jesus said the kingdom is heaven and he went and sold everything, that doesn't just mean he went and literally sold all the, that I mean, that's a parable. What Christ was getting at is that it is a free gift and it costs us everything. It costs our dreams. It costs what we want, what we don't want, because our agenda has to die. That's what it means when Paul says, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Our agenda, what we want, has to die. And then here's the beautiful thing. God promises that the desires of our heart will be answered. Why? How? How does that even work? Well, remember, we're a new creation when we give our heart to God. Frederick Buechner, in his book, Listening to Your Life, wrote, I love this. If the world is sane, okay, meaning, let's say the world was right side up. <laughs> if the world was sane, is sane, then Jesus is mad as a hatter. <laughs> By the way, mad as a hatter, it's uh, Alice in Wonderland with the mad hatters, okay. Jesus is mad as a hatter, and the Last Supper is the mad tea party. I love that visual. The world says... Mind your own business. And Jesus says, no such thing as your own business. The world says, follow the wisest course and be a success. What does Jesus say? Follow me and be crucified. The world says, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. I roll, I roll. Jesus says, Whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will find it. The world says get, Jesus says give. In terms of the world's sanity, Jesus is crazy as a coot. And anyone who thinks he can follow him without being crazy too is laboring less under the cross and more under a delusion. 
Like the disciples, Jesus is calling us, each of him, to follow, each of us, to follow Jesus. Or, in Fred and uh, Beekner's terms, be a mad hatter, upside down to the world, right? And we might ask, where? Follow Jesus, but follow him where? That's the point, though. It's not up to us where. That's the point of following. We don't necessarily know where. That's the faith. And that's what it means to live in God's kingdom, that day-to-day God's kingdom. The good news is, again, we are new. We are created new. The Bible says that we are we're given a new heart, that we're, it's a new creation. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think, oh, that's a philosophical thing. Like, oh, when I'm given new good information, then I'm able to be different. What if it was actually true without playing games? What if when you serve Christ... What if when you give up your identity, what if you make a choice to say, not my will, not what I want. I won't be king anymore, Lord, but you will. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. What if that literally, in a miraculous way, a supernatural way, a way that is not natural, above natural, above the sun like in Ecclesiastes, what if you really were a new creation? What if that was the path to being the most human? What if that was how you were the most yourself? And what if that is where home is? Not in a philosophical, theoretical place, but literally. Second Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Is that, an, is that an allegory or an analogy? Galatians 6, for neither circumcision, meaning all the stuff we do to be good, counts for anything, but a new creation. And as for all who walk, By this rule, peace, mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Joy and wisdom, a sense of belonging, it's found in God's kingdom. So the answer to the question, who are you? To me, fundamentally, literally, I mean this. I'm God's kid. I'm God's kid. So this morning... Give thanks. You know, did I always say I love this church? This morning in the prayer and also the prayer before, you know what there was a lot of? Thanksgiving. That is awesome. Because God's kingdom is awesome. It is. It's amazing. Look look around you, literally, like right now. Look at your neighbor, even though it's starting to get really hot in here. Look in your neighbor. Enjoy. Go to lunch with a friend. Go to lunch at the community center, uh, the, the community lunch thing. Observe and relish, right? The awkward moments where we're trying to be nice and then we're just dumb. 
<laughs> That'd be me, right? I have no social skills. Uh, help someone fix something, carry their bag. Smile, make eye contact. I, I know, it's Capitol Hill, but still, you should try it. They may not do anything, I don't know. Call someone just because. Not with an agenda, but just because. Hang out with them. Believe the best in someone. Even though you know that they probably wronged you. Be stupid, generous, expecting nothing in return. Sit with those in grief. Life is hard, but you know what? God doesn't just answer prayers, which he does, for sure, in times that are tough. But he does so within the context of his family, of his kingdom. Family of God here. Sit with those who mourn. Do you not think that these things are sacred? In God's kingdom, they are. The kingdom of God here and now, it's good. It's good. It's imperfect, for sure. It leaves a lot to be desired. And you know why? Because it's made up of people like me, which is kind of unfortunate. But it's still good because it's got all of us together. And we're all centered on Christ, our living center. So it's amazing now. And just think about how amazing it really will be when finished, when Christ returns, and when it is fully, fully here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you um, again for this church and for the opportunity for me to, to share, hopefully, my, that's my prayer, hopefully share what's on your heart. And Lord, I just want to take a moment real quick um, because really it's all about you. Um, Christianity is terrible philosophy. It's awful self-help. It doesn't work. Um, but it has you, the living person, and you desperately, desperately want to be in relationship with us. So, Lord, all of us, just take a moment, Lord. Forgive me. Truly, forgive me. I am not, I am not what I should be. Missed the mark. I'm a sinner. I keep messing things up. I try. I want to, but... Mm. So forgive me, Lord. And be with me. Come into my heart. And in fact, that promise that you said, that, that reality that you say, a new creation, that's what I want. I want to be to use the old crazy weird term, born again. That was even weird when Jesus said it. It is still weird today. A new creation. That's what I need. That's what I want. I want to be more myself. I want to hang out with you. I want to be in your home. That's where all the good stuff is. I don't want to take your toys from the living room and run outside to the back alley. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like the prodigal son who took the inheritance and left. I want to hang out with you. I want to be in your living room. I want to be part of your family. And I want to experience day to day 
the imperfect, messy nonsense that is your kingdom. Because it's so good. It's so good. So Lord, come into my life. Make me a new creation. Give me the strength to follow you. And Lord, teach me to be continually thankful and to rest my weight on you even when things are bad. Not bad for, for fake, bad for realties. And I thank you for it. In your wonderful, fantastic, holy name. Amen.